Hello and welcome to The Nightcap with me, Simon Alexander, a podcaster, daytime cooking show contestant. And as always, I'm in my little office at home with a beer in hand on a Tuesday night. And I'm joined by Paul Foster, who I think is in his kitchen at the moment. You're right, mate? I am. There, yeah. How you doing, mate? You're right. Yeah, good, thank you. And uh, yeah, we've got a very special guest today that um, we didn't anticipate on this being part of our current series, but um, he reached out to us after we talked about For Grace during our Nightcap Film Club series, and we thought we'd love to get him on and talk to him about that show and about uh, the landscape of the world and his upcoming restaurant and that sort of thing. So I'm delighted to say we are joined across the pond by Curtis Duffy. How are you doing, buddy? I'm fantastic, and I'm delighted to be part of the podcast. Uh, thank you very much for inviting me, and you know I'm thrilled to be here. Oh, pleasure, honestly, and it's I, I feel really excited because I can see you're in Chef White, so I feel like, <laughs> oh, what's going on? Are you are you at the new place? What's the current landscape like? Just talk. What time is it there? For for example, what are you up to at the moment? Yeah, it's it's two forty in the afternoon on uh, Tuesday, I believe it is. I don't even know what day it is anymore. Um, this is the, <laughs> no, this is, yeah, this is the second day that we uh, orientation yesterday started for the staff, so we have a, uh, roughly about fifty staff member. And uh, today's the second day where the entire kitchen team is in after orientation, and now is doing an entire deep cleaning of the entire restaurant, sealing the floor, every pot and pan, every sheet tray, every everything, every piece of china meticulously cleaned, uh, and just trying to get set for the opening, which is going to happen in a few weeks. Yeah, has that has that been is that has that been a del- has that been sort of. Um... Uh, obviously, has it been delayed in any way because of COVID? Has it started later than you anticipated, or have you, are you trying to run it as close to the normal timings that you had in mind? Well, we were delayed a little bit through construction, and then COVID hit. Uh, you know, around mid March, and restaurants started to shut down in Chicago. Uh, we kept pushing yeah. on construction to just to get through. We're, you know, we slowed down quite a bit with work and uh, not knowing the uncertainty of the future. People just slowly started to work. You know, we, we kept construction going, and you know, we worked through it. But now with COVID and the city of Chicago a few weeks ago released uh, the ability to dine inside the restaurant, um, so at a 25% capacity. So, you know, it's delayed things a little bit, but we're you know we're blessed and fortunate enough to not have been open uh, pre-COVID because you know. We would have just opened and then we would have had to shut down. Yeah. In some ways, it was good timing from that regard that you were already in that transition when <laughs> yeah. COVID hit. I mean, yeah, putting it back complete... rather than opening and then closing. Yeah, you wouldn't want that at yeah. all. It's been the, I don't, you know, obviously it's fairly similar in most countries, but, you know, Paul, for example, he's in the position where he had opened his restaurant only a couple of years ago, had just gained his first Michelin star over, just over a year ago. And obviously, this. Uh, and COVID happening has had a completely different impact on his business because the size of the place and reopening and that sort of thing. It's completely different, isn't it, mate? Yeah, we're, we're such a tiny restaurant. We're only a 34-seater. Um, it's a little old uh, Tudor building. Um, so with our restrictions, we, we can't reopen at the moment. We are allowed to open as of July the 4th, but for us, it means I'd be at 30, 40% capacity with the restrictions and it, it's just it's just not worth doing. Well, the, fortunately, the government are paying paying the staff. So, you know, it just makes sense for us to close. We'd probably be open in September again. Yeah, so all, all being well. So with, with your capacity being 25%, is that government set or is it a distance thing? How does it work? 
it's a distance and timing thing for the for the city of Chicago. It's obviously it's six feet apart. I think that's standard across mm-hmm. across the board. Uh, timing is they're looking at a two hour window. They really want the guests to be in and out in a two hour time manner, which is reasonable. We designed the menu around a two and a half okay. hour experience, anyway. And the twenty five percent capacity. You know, we're an eighty seat restaurant, so we're you know, we're going to do just shy of 40 people a night. But in the beginning, we had, we had budgeted for that anyways, so we start out slow. And Yeah, that's quite, that's lucky in a way, yeah. So how um, how different is it going to be from Grace, like in, in terms of, you know, where, where you'd left Grace, three stars and just, you know, worldwide attention? How, how different is ever going to be? What's the, is there a slightly different concept or you're just pushing further? Um, we are constantly just, we're just pushing further, you know, it, it's, it has always been my food uh, stylistically, whether I'm cooking um, inside of Greece or if I'm in Japan cooking or if I'm here at Ever, it's always been my voice, it's my style of food. It doesn't seem realistic for me to change my style of food because I close a restaurant. You know, I, I keep pushing uh, further, I evolve, and that's really what it's about for me. You know, it's, it's an evolution of what Grace, I, I think if Grace would still be open today, you would see what we're doing today would be Grace's food, I would imagine. Okay. Yeah. yeah, it's just a natural evolution. Yeah, absolutely. From our point of view, what you know, our, our, well, certainly my sort of biggest insight into your career and your life was this documentary. And um, before we sort of go on to uh, whatever's going to be, you know, sort of about and how it's going to all work, when uh, the documentary was set up, how how long before your plans to open a brand new restaurant did you decide, or did someone approach you saying, "Let's get a film crew involved. Let's have some fun with this. Let's create a documentary." Was that something that did they work in tandem? Was it deliberate, or was it sort of a coincidence, like a nice sort of coincidence? Well, that kind of unfolded um, in a very unique way because uh, Kevin Peng, the gentleman who was the main film director for, yeah. for Grace, uh, approached me with an idea of, you know, filming me with the evolution of how, how I concept the dish. And I had asked him, I said, you know, when is it, he's a Chicago, he was the Chicago Tribune uh, food writer. So I said, well, when would this, when would this air or when would this uh, be published? And, and the timeline that he had, I was already had planned on leaving, but I hadn't announced it to the media yet at Avenues. So I said, well, that wouldn't work because by the time the piece came out, Avenues would then, I would no longer be employed there. So um, he's like, well, you're embarking on this new project. Um, what if we just filmed it? And maybe, maybe uh, bits and pieces could be on your website, bits and pieces could be on the Tribune website. And we'll go from there. And I said, yeah, absolutely. Um, we never had an intention to make this documentary. And I think that's kind of what makes it so special and unique. Everything in there is, it's a one take thing. It's never, yeah. oh, stop. Yeah. Can you uh, say that a certain way? Can you redo this? It, you can, I, I, at least I can sense it's, it's a natural feeling. Yeah. And that's why it was just never, it was never meant to be a documentary. And then it went on to gain a lot of accolades and awards through, through um, 
like Sundance uh, Film Festival, sorry. Yeah. Through, yeah, yeah. through film festivals and it gained a lot of attention and then Netflix reached out and wanted to purchase the rights to it and then they, that deal got worked out. So that's amazing. here we are. It was never meant, you know, I always say that because I think that's the, the edge part of it that makes it special and unique is, you know, here's a guy with a tiny little camera. I mean, it's a, they're just following us around and that's it. Yeah. 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 You, you definitely got that authentic feel. Like I felt that watching the entire thing. And I think the best thing about that is that um, for you guys, I didn't feel like you guys were ever necessarily playing up to the cameras, but also there's also a bit of an unnatural sort of sense of, why is there a camera following us? Like, what do we do? How do you, what do I normally do? Like, does it feel weird having the cameras there or did you even forget that they were doing it? Yeah, a lot of the time we, a lot of the time we were catching, Michael and I were catching ourselves going, oh shit, where's the camera? Did they catch that? <laughs> I tell you, like, one of the things that I did say to Kevin that I, I think is very important to note is I said to him, you know, if we're going to do this in the very beginning and we're going to, you're going to film and this turns into something greater than what we are, I wanted it to be raw and real. I didn't want mm. the idea of a, the celebrity TV stuff that's, that was all over the TV networks, the food networks. I didn't want that for myself and my brand. I wanted raw and real, good and bad. That's it. Don't, you're not cutting scenes out because, you know, there's an F-bomb here or somebody said this or, you know, that's, that's what it is. That's the life. Yeah. So yeah. No, no, no sugarcoating anything. And I think some of that comes through as well. And that's why I kept catching ourselves going, that really come across as well when it come out in 2016 was it on netflix like every chef in the uk was talking about it they loved it and i think it was because it, it wasn't it wasn't contrived it was totally authentic and it was real you know even you know chefs that aren't anywhere near that level could still associate it with it because it was so real and the story was great and yeah. um, just a real interesting insight and not like your normal chefy or overproduced or anything. It was just exciting, raw, like you said. Yeah, and that's what we really wanted. That's not overproduced and not, you know, raw. That's it, raw. I see some Charlie Charter books in the background, I think. <laughs> no, not, not there. No, not there. <laughs> uh, looks kind of similar. I promise. <laughs> <laughs> I hit them away. <laughs> <laughs> Did you, uh, when you watched it back, was there any bits that you thought, oh, fucking hell, why did they do, why did they include that? Or were there any bits that you felt embarrassed by or awkward about watching? Um, yeah, well, you know, like, like you gentlemen pointed out that, you know, it's, uh, they didn't really focus on the love of food that I have and the passion behind it because... Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, because sometimes you know, I caught myself going, I forget, I'm forgetting he's a chef here because we've not seen him cook much. <laughs> yeah, and that's, you know, that's the thing is like when, the, when we started filming and they were just following us around, those moments that were filmed in the kitchen, not my kitchen, but it was development time, that was in another restaurant's kitchen at three in the morning. And that was a beautiful moment, but right around that time is also Kevin had caught me, um, I guess you would say in one of my weak moments or just a day that I was just exhausted. 
Oh, it was a day that actually he wanted to film from the day that I woke up till, or from the hour that I woke up until, until, uh, till the moment I fell asleep. Wow. So he Long did day. catch me waking up at whatever time and going to the gym and working out. And then he ended up coming back to my house. It was like 11, 12 o'clock at night. And there were still things to do. And he just started asking questions. And that's when my story of my family came out. Well, I had no intention of sharing that. Really? So wow. you can see that that was just raw and real. And it was, it, and again, it's a, it was a first take. So it was never like, can you mm. do that again? No, it was. And that's, so that was kind of the turning point, I think, for Kevin when he said, all right, we got something a lot greater than just a chef building a restaurant moment. Here we have a story of a, a life story instead of, you know, just, just a, another film documentary. But I yeah. think it, it yeah. probably yeah. plugs into your philosophies on your restaurants anyway. But for me, it wasn't an issue. We've talked about it on the previous book. It wasn't an issue that we didn't see much food because the story was so great anyway. Like you say, it wasn't planned, but that's sort of the beauty of it, I think, because everyone has the backstory and the context that, does, yeah. that just makes us want to go to the restaurant even more because we know the real authentic person behind the, it's not that the food doesn't matter. Of course it does, but it's knowing all that other stuff. Actually, that makes us want to, I think, try the food more because yeah, know about the context behind it and the person behind the thinking of all the dishes, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's a, it's a much more relatable story. You know, everybody, like you said, everybody has a backstory. Everybody has you know, issues or whatever. It's just how you take those moments from your past and, and, you know, try to turn them into something great. Um, yeah. And, and there's a beautiful story of, you know, somebody making something of themselves that comes really from nowhere. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think really a lot of people love that hero story. People love that. Yeah. You know, and oh, people exactly. relate to it very well. Yeah, but the very kind beginning of what we, of the, our approach. Sorry, mate, go sorry, on. Sorry, Carol. Um, <laughs> yeah, our approach with this podcast, we have different guest chefs every um, every week from the from the UK. It all achieved a lot that you see on television, and you just see the chefs and the food. But we really try and get like the same as with your your documentary, the person behind it, and just some authenticity. There's a bit of a bit of realism, and then you know, we find so many people can relate to that, and so many other chefs on their way up as well. You know, just starting out in their career, they're like. They're not just up this person up on a pedestal, and you know I certainly saw that when I um, when I watched Great uh, for Grace originally. I thought, wow, you know you can associate with this person, and you know they're, they're a real person, not just someone you see across the pond on the on the telly who's you know, three mission right. star. It's um, yeah, really relatable. I think it does it helps bring it and make make you realise you can achieve things as well. Absolutely, absolutely, that's amazing. One of the first things Paul said actually after we watched it was about the beginning of the episode where you're at the avenue and you t you know you've only got a certain amount of coffee cups to go around and, and stuff and little yeah. things like that and Paul straight away you know he talked about IKEA and rubbing the labels off and things like that and <laughs> it's stuff like that that I, I I can't believe that even so even at that level this happens across the board and I didn't know whether you could give us any more context as to whether it matters or not. How did that get to that stage at the Avenue? Was it just stuff beyond your control or, or had it just, what was the sort of story there? Yeah, you know, for the people who've worked in the corporate world, this, that was my first experience in the corporate world. So, you know, the, the amount of red tape it took to get things done was exhausting. And when you have five or six 
uh, people that have to sign uh, a piece of paper in front of you to get a, a, an order pushed through if it's not just your daily product for your mise en place, but if you want to buy something of substantial cost, if that becomes uh, a burden to you as a chef because now you're, you're doing things that it takes you away from your focus, which is the cuisine and, and making the best experience for your guests. So that became exhausting very quickly. And, you know, when I took over avenues, the, the China that was there wasn't, they didn't have large volume of it anyways. Mm. So when the staff would break it because the China would go into the dish room that also housed the, the whole hotel and the, the care and the ginger quality that, you know, <laughs> somebody would take in a, in a freestanding restaurant, it just gets broken. It's chipped. It just becomes another thing. And uh, quite quickly you run out of China yeah. uh, without yeah. the ability to buy more. It becomes very frustrating. So you are looking at, you know, he's right. You are running to Ikea or you're running somewhere to get pieces of China out of your own pocket. You're buying out of your own pocket because you don't want the hassle or the headache to deal with, to buy new stuff. It's, it's too yeah. easy just to go Go do it yourself. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want to get into the hotel politics and the business politics. You just want to get the job done, the job that you're employed to do and you adapt. Yep. And, you know, I spent a fortune just buying bits and pubs that are left there at the end of the day, just because I wanted to, I wanted to achieve and I you know, couldn't be, I couldn't be waiting around for other people for, you know, as penny pension reasons or, or just, just not politics and rubbish. Yeah. yeah. And you know, you guys mentioned it and hit it right on the head was, Look, when the guest is spending this much money, uh, their exactly. expectations are exactly what they should be, extremely high. And mm. if we can't exceed their expectations because we don't have the tools to do that, then we, we're already in a failing moment. We're, we're already yeah. trying, we're, we're constantly playing catch up. And that's, as a chef, it's, uh, it's extremely exhausting and taxing mentally and physically. And, you know, all you want to do is make your guest happy. and exceed their expectations. Yeah, I was going to ask actually along that same vein, when, you, um, when you're charging prices that means that people expectations are so high, do you feel daily pressure because of the level of expectation of people coming in? Not only because of the amount of stars, but then you know, more notoriety, a documentary out, all these things. Do you feel more pressure every night when people come in uh, to sort of like live up to it? Um, I don't feel the pressure anymore. I mean, certainly with the new restaurant, there's, there's quite a bit of pressure there, but I, I've always thought of and, and, and taught my staff, if we're doing the things to get us where, if we've done the things to get us where, where we are today, we keep doing them and have the mindset of a student and have a mindset of every day has to be better than the next. And uh, that's, we're already doing what we're supposed to be doing. Um, all yeah. we have to do every day is to make sure today is better than yesterday. And if it's not, how can we change it to make it better? And it can be the littlest things. It doesn't have to be monumental every day, but it's the little things that add up to huge changes and, and, and the greatness I feel. Mm -hmm. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. What's uh, another thing I was going to ask, which uh, made Paul and I laugh was how 
in all of our podcasts, when we've talked to loads of other chefs, we've talked about the heat of the kitchen, which is obviously a bit of a cliche, but how intense it can get. And in the dock, it looked, it was harmonious. It looked like the <laughs> most firm, relaxed place in the world. Was that just part of the editing or does it, do you, you, is that just exactly how you guys are? Because it seemed so different to many kitchens in that, yeah, it was intense, but it was friendly. There was a lot of love. Um, it wasn't very sort of accusatory if things went wrong. Is that what it's like genuinely? Yeah, you can see loads of focus, but it just did look a real calm environment. Yeah, and that's the way I like it. I'm a very uh, zen, calm person. I, I don't like a lot of noise and clutter, and I certainly try to embrace that in every aspect of my life. But in the kitchen has always been my if you will my my zen place that is my that is my dojo that's the place where i go and almost meditate it's a temple for me and if you take the distractions away you you have you you have all these chefs that are now there's no there's no talking there's a verbal communication it doesn't really exist it's it's really eye contact they know if you know what you're doing every single day your job you just have to look at the other person. You know exactly what they're going to do next. And I don't like the noise. I don't like speaking. There's really only one voice in that kitchen, and that is the expediter. And that expediter runs runs the kitchen when we're in service. And it's a it's a very almost military setting where it is uh, command and response. That's it. You pick yeah. up two beef, and it's two beef. Yes, chef. That's it. You know, wow. two beef. And, you know, three minutes later, you have two beef in the past for a food runner to take it to point A to point B and where they're going. So uh, the calmness, I feel like chefs that are screaming and yelling. And I, I look at it as if it gets to that point, there's a problem. And mm. what's the solution? You got to find that problem before it gets to that point. Because, you know, I used to be that guy that would scream and yell. Uh, I know what it got me. It didn't get me what I'm getting today. I promise you that. It's a different really? way of managing. So you think of that as a big contributor to your success is actually stop shouting and change the method. That's fascinating. Yeah, understanding why things are happening and why you're yelling about it and this fix the problem leading up to that point. Guarantee uh, you won't have those issues anymore. You know, mistakes are great. Mistakes are fine. We learn from mistakes, but it's the people that don't learn from that is continue to happen and happen. And that's, that's the part that really frustrates me. And that's when I will lose, actually lose my, lose my cool. But you know, in the five years that we ran grace, I would say maybe six times I had to raise my voice and, and I just what? remember it was just a compound of many different things happened all at once that I just was like, look, we're not that must and that's that problem. must literally break or like if, if it's so rare that you were to actually go guys what the f and lose it a bit that must absolutely because people must be so unused to seeing that from you that it must yeah. absolutely <laughs> level yeah, the yeah. whole environment <laughs> when you when you work for a hot head chef it it become if they're shouting every single night you become numb to it then you know, yeah. Yeah. Again, yeah. <laughs> it becomes the normal oh, mean it's just yelling again for whatever reason <laughs> you know you become it's like crying wolf but sooner or yeah. later you don't even hear it anymore and yeah but it's it's those moments that yeah it sets things straight i promise you it sets uh 
it restrains the knife and becomes extremely <laughs> sharp again. The whole entire <laughs> operation. I, yeah. I already yeah, know yeah. that loads of chefs listening will agree with you and think, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. And then yeah. it comes to the first service when the shit hits the fan. And it's hard, in the moment, it's hard to tell yourself <laughs> to not do you know what I mean? Like, it's like, it oh, is. Nah, I lost it, it is. But you have to step back and really, you know, look at the situation and, and why is it like that? And it, most of the reason, it's lack of training and, yeah. and uh, lack of focus within... Uh, probably yourself as a chef and and you know it also it all starts at the top you know if I'm jumping around in the kitchen and just dancing and cool everything's great everybody behind me below me are gonna feel like that's okay too mm-hmm. and then you set the tone every day with your staff and if that's your tonality of screaming and yelling and if it works for you great if it doesn't then it's time to change but yeah, but you're right. If you, if you scream and shouting about the same thing, um, then it's either a lack of training or the person's not right you put the training in or the system's wrong. You have to look at it and break it down. And Absolutely. it's normally one of those things. And, you know, I've been there. I've been, you know, in that place. And, yeah, much calmer now. When you, when you can actually look at it, you hire and recruit the right people do the right sort of training and if those are okay then it, it's a system it's something i've put in place can we look at that can we change it can we make it slicker can we make it better and yeah my stress levels certainly come down yeah <laughs> yeah I, just knowing you as well, i know that's been a massive transformation for you in the kitchen doesn't it mate? <laughs> yeah um, a tough two years yeah um so uh yeah another thing i wanted to sort of uh, ask you about was um the whole for grace uh, sort of episode of your life and your career that sort of came to an end without too much sort of like um, talk uh, and, and maybe that's just because it's just one of those things and it's not that worth talking about but I just wanted to ask like is that was that your decision to sort of leave it there and, and move on and change things was that just part of an evolution or you know is that is there still something else going on or how do you feel about that if you don't mind me asking yeah, you know, it was it was the hardest decision I have ever had to make. Um, and in hindsight, now is the best decision I ever made. Uh, Michael and I got into a working relationship with the business partnership with the wrong partner. Yeah. And it happens all the time. You know, you take you take a chef who's young and eager and all the all that they want is to have their own restaurant and just to do the things and the freedom to do what they want to do with the proper tools to do what to do the job when you have that it's limitless at least you feel like an un, an uncaged bird and you're you can just fly and just do whatever you want to do uh-huh. that was me that was me when i was young and I got into business because this guy offered all of that to me. He offered me that, uh, Michael, as well, to have those opportunities. And eventually it just became, it went, it went south from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, like I said, it's, it was the hardest decision to leave. I did everything in my power. I'm not a guy who likes to quit. And I certainly didn't want to let this go. And I did everything that I could do. Every angle I tried to buy the place, I, I mean, I came to the table multiple times. The guy just wouldn't budge on many things. Uh, I don't know if it was just stubborn. He just didn't, I don't know. And, and, you know, I had left a lot of the 
public don't know, but I had left for a short period of time prior to me leaving Grace um, with with the legal, uh, I guess, um, the legal advice was to say, was to tell me to leave and this will help bring the guy to the table to come up with some solutions. Right. Well, I had left, I gave him my resignation, he accepted it, but the media didn't know about it. So he took it as, well, Chef left, everything is working fine, everything's great, but what he didn't know was I was still managing my staff from afar. Of course. Mm, I yeah. was on the phone with them every day, I was developing dishes with them via FaceTime. Wow. Uh, making sure that everything was represented as if I was there. And yeah, it's still your name above the door, isn't it? Yeah, yeah it's my reputation. And, you know, so the media didn't know because I knew once the media knew, it's going to close. Yeah. And uh, he didn't take it serious. And, you know, fast forward six months, here we are in December, and I give my resignation and I drop it to the New York Times. And the very next day, we close. Wow. So wow. my entire staff, front and back, left the very same day. Well, the very next day, sorry, once yeah. it was announced. Because I couldn't share that with my staff member that I was leaving. It was uh, illegally, I couldn't do it. But he right. had my resignation on Friday. I think it was a Friday. And I think it said, uh, if we don't hear, no, he had it, a, I think he had it on a Monday. And if we didn't hear anything back from him on by Friday, uh, resignation is effective immediately. Oh, yeah. So we pretended like he didn't see it or hear it, but sure. we, we have uh, concrete evidence that he had it. <laughs> and, uh, oh, yeah. You know, so <laughs> yeah. So you we pulled the plug, we walked away. We had to walk yeah, away. That's and that's I pretty, but it's a, yeah, it sounds it, but it's a pretty swift transformation to then be at this place now where you're only a few weeks away from opening ever. Like that is a massive, and was that seed already planted, like a new name, a new venue? Was there already sort of like a part of your brain elsewhere thinking about the next thing that was coming on? Well, you know, I've always wanted to have a small restaurant empire, so I'm all, I was always thinking of what's next, what are we going to do, what's the next restaurant concept going to be? So we had already, uh, Michael and I had already had ideas floating around with what we wanted to do. Um, we just, uh, we didn't want to do another extremely high-end restaurant. We wanted to, you know, we wanted to build a structure where we can give our young chefs restaurants. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, if a guy is extremely passionate about pasta and Italian food, then let's build him a restaurant that he can be successful. Let's give him an Italian restaurant. Let's give him his concept. Wow. And that's, that's what we're still, that's what we want to do today. But that was the idea. And uh, now Grace closed. We had to, I, I wasn't, probably my ego more than anything, wasn't willing to give up <laughs> a, a three Michelin star restaurant. I was, I worked too hard to get to that place just to yeah, have man. one guy crush my dreams. Uh, no mm. way. I'm we're coming back with a vengeance. Yeah, it's, uh, fair enough, man. I mean, that is a lot. It's too much to leave on the table of three mission star place. I mean, yeah. If I just walked away now and said, "All right, well, now I'm going to do those restaurants that I was already planning on doing, but not at a three star level," then yeah. he wins. Yeah. And and I 
also an unfinished business. I'm not finished doing. I'm still extremely passionate about what I do, and I'm not willing to to give up the the hours and the uh, the dedication to my craft. Is I still have a lot to do. Yeah, yeah, man. What's your um? Do you have any connections to the UK, sort of like in general, or specifically in the food world with restaurants? Or have you been over here and familiarized yourself at all? Yeah, I was. You know, I was there last year for the first time. I traveled through London many times, but uh, never was had the ability to stop and, and spend some time in the city. What a beautiful city! Yeah, uh, I was there on my wife's business, so she works for. Um, a major cruise ship called, well, it's not really a cruise ship, it's a, it's a, it's the world, it's called the world, it's the luxurious uh, mega yacht that is privately owned with 165 condos on it. Wow. And so she's the global salesperson for, for the world, and they had their annual meeting in London, and I believe we stayed at the Savoir, Savoy Hotel. What's that? The Savoy? I'm not sure, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Savoy in uh, in London, in Soho, near Soho, um, uh, Covent Garden. There you go. Yeah. 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 Um, so I didn't really, I didn't really eat. I didn't have much time to get out and explore, unfortunately, um, because we were locked in with with her group, and we had certain things that we had to do. I was kind of on an itinerary, but I was able to sneak away for an afternoon because I was fascinated by the restaurant called. Um, Hyde. Oh, yeah. It's a cool place, yeah. I love the architecture on the inside with the staircase, and I just thought it was aesthetically beautiful place, and obviously I was in the, you know, in design mode with my restaurant, so I, I had to see it. I didn't have time to eat, but I had, I had to see the space. Ah, cool. Did they know you were there? Did you go and speak? Yeah, the general manager was, uh, arranged a, a walking tour with me so he took he was uh, very generous enough to take the time and, and walk me through the space and i met a few of the chefs and yeah what a what a beautiful space uh, it's a shame i couldn't eat the food but maybe next time i get over there i'll try to find uh, some restaurants that i've been wanting to go to yeah. <laughs> have you been there paul i've been for drinks downstairs and i've had a look around i know the chef there that staircase i'm sure it was like five just for the staircase five times the investment for our whole restaurant it's incredible the staircase yeah it's a special feature it is magical it is, it is beautiful i mean because I, yeah. I i just came off a trip to tulum and they have the a museum in tulum mexico i don't remember the architectural name but uh, it's basically a treehouse in the jungle and this it's just amazing the architecture and the curves and um polished concrete that was the walls and just a magical place. And I'm like, man, why yeah. can't we do this in <laughs> And I'm like, there's no way the codes would just uh, would not allow you to do anything of that. Crazy. Well, it's completely the opposite for you, Paul, in a way, because you, when you got Salt, your restaurant, that was it's a listed building, so you, li- Paul, wasn't allowed to really do anything because it's hundreds and hundreds of years old. The place that Paul's in is. Yeah, it's a proper old building. I mean, we're in Stratford-upon-Avon, which is Shakespeare's town. Um, so directly opposite Shakespeare's school. And they're just lovely old Tudor buildings. And um, yeah, it's so strict what we can do. Like the single pane windows, um, we can't replace, which is ridiculous. Like we can't, we can't even insulate it properly. 
Even if they randomly got thrown a rock through them, we couldn't replace them. <laughs> wow, that's a good point. It's a good point. Well, I've upset enough, pool, enough you, people you that might happen. It, yeah, you just pass it <laughs> off as charm in this country. We just go, it's old, it's charming. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's all it. Yeah, you get away with it, yeah. <laughs> I, I live between Chicago and Miami, and... You know, Miami has that Art Deco that, you know, the city keeps very strictly. Like, you have to paint your building a certain color. You you can't change a lot of things. Oh, yeah. and, you know, I think that's a that's a beautiful thing. And, you know, if you could put a restaurant in that and be successful, it, it certainly brings an incredible amount of charm to to, to, the, to the restaurant. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And yeah, where it it's situated is opposite Shakespeare's school, which is still the old Edwardian building. So it's a proper atmosphere there, but super different to, you know, restaurants in the jungle that can bespokely do what and design however they want. Um, but it yeah. adds so much to everything, doesn't it? Like the service, the food, having that atmosphere in that building just has a way bigger impact on people than I think they realize. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it is about the, it's all about that too it's not just about the food it's, it has to be an entire package and the ambiance is certainly key one of the uh, last yeah. things we wanted to talk about was uh, Michael was one of my favourite people in the documentary uh, I mean I just if I'm ever feeling low I could just have like a Michael speech just ready to go where he's just going to get me yeah. pumped or I'll all cry <laughs> one yeah. Uh, but yeah so how do you, where did you guys did you meet through the restaurant industry because it felt almost that you were friends first and then business people second because of the you know him hitting you in the bollocks when you're trying to talk to the camera and stuff like that like, you know, it just feel, it felt like you guys have mates that, that were just having a bit of a laugh really we, you know that was the, that's the great thing about michael and i um we met through uh, when i was hired at avenues and he was actually the one that kind of uh found me i was i was finishing my time at alinea as a chef cuisine so it was time for me to move on and I was looking for something, but I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I wanted to have uh, a place where I could call my own and have, start to develop my voice in the world of food. And Michael somehow got my number, reached out to me, and that's when we met. And the first time I actually met Michael was like, I knew instantaneously that we were going to be business partners some way down the road. We were going to be great best friends. It's because it was, there was no effort, you know, it was just effortless uh, relationship and it was just a, a beautiful thing. There were so many things that we love to do that he has interest in, that I have interest in, and it just works. And he's incredibly passionate about the front of the house and the line. And, and I was the same for the kitchen, of course. Yeah. Yeah, and it's great. You can see the see the connection between the two of you, and um, it's, it is quite rare, I think, to have a relationship on that level where you're both at such a high level. Um, you're both, you know, passionate, you know, really well skilled, and you know, there's going to be things you differ on, but it's so rare to just continue as a partner and a friend to that level. I think you don't you don't see it a lot. Sometimes it goes goes a bit sour, but no, I really I really admire that, and it was so it's just so real in the documentary. Yeah, you know, he's. Um... I think both of us speak the same language for the most part, but when we don't speak the same language, we know when we know to, he knows I'm certain passionate about a certain thing and I'm not going to let it go. He's going to let it go and vice versa. If he wants a certain thing and yeah. I, yeah. I don't really feel it, I'm like, you have, it's a given take relationship. We really have to be flexible in that sense. And, you know, we have a restaurant group here in, here in the city called the Boca Restaurant Group, and the dynamic between the two owners 
of that restaurant group are, are great friends as well as great business partners and they have you know I ten plus restaurants in the city and wow. you know they they're exactly like Michael and I you know they have family, we have family, they have great friends, they have the restaurant family as well and it just works really well. Like it sounds almost corny to say, but it's almost that's hard to find. It's like relationships; they're hard to find yeah. ones that work to that level. It doesn't get written about or in movies as much, does it? Like no. friends that become successful business partners, but yeah, because usually you end up hating that person at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and then, yeah, yeah you do. Like our relationship's not perfect. We have our moments too. It's it's not all yeah. just butterflies and and everything. We have our moments too, and. We work through them and we, we continue on. We, we have the same goals. So. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's getting past, getting past them, isn't it? Do you ever, when, when he's, if, does he ever get in honor like a passionate speech and you don't even know where he's going? You're just looking at him like, oh, what are you talking about? Uh, yeah. He's, you know, he, he loves his passion. He's great at it. So, so I do let him. You know, I, I, don't, I don't have a problem speaking in front of people and talking in front of great crowds, but Michael does it obviously yeah. better. He has a theater background. He's very charismatic. Uh, and he just loves that. He's, he loves being on stage. So given that opportunity to be on stage and he, and he shines, and that's clearly you can see that. Absolutely. Yeah, 100%. That's awesome. One of my favorite scenes in the whole documentary was one of his speeches in the restaurant, but then also when you're going through... Um, all of the individual people that are attending your restaurant that night and the background to all of them, which blew my mind, like, you know, tracking people down on Facebook, finding stuff out about them, like their music tastes and all this sort of stuff, um, which is awesome. Uh, and and we've only, we only sort of really know of a couple of restaurants in this country that do a similar thing. But then also the bit when we get onto Ruth, who's coming to visit, and then you just say, take care of her, give her champagne all night, and it's just a beautiful, heartwarming, sort of full circle moment. Um, if you don't mind me asking, how is Ruth, and is she going to come to the opening of Ever on the first day, or, or, or something like that? Um, Ruth is fantastic. I do still speak with her. I speak with her on a weekly basis. She's amazing. Um, wow. She's actually not coming to the opening of Ever. Um, you know, okay. I think uh, she did mention she's going on vacation, that time, and we were still in, in flex as to when we were going to open, but she had already booked vacation long before. So, you know, I understand. Look, we've been down this road before, so I'm not heartbroken. She's not going to be here. Well, I am heartbroken, but yeah, yeah. Um, I understand. You yeah. get it. So yeah. Yeah. I know yeah. she'll be here. I'm sure she'll be, be there in no time. And I know she'll be here as, yeah. as soon as she can. But, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, was, uh, it was special to have her there because she's been such a – a huge uh, part of my life and inspiration to you know where I am today. So she's she's an incredible woman, mother figure yeah, to me. She came she came across incredibly in the documentary, and she was a sort of a really pivotal point of it uh, with her sort of association with you, and then her coming to the restaurant. I thought that was that was beautiful, and the fact that it was all like you said at the beginning of this podcast, authentic and real. It wasn't forced. It wasn't for the cameras. It was, you know, if the cameras weren't there, you'd have done that anyway. She'd have been there anyway, and I think Absolutely. that really comes across. It's, it's yeah, bloody cool. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She's, um, she's right, well, an incredible, incredible woman. Before we uh, sort of wrap things up, we want to lower the tone because we do that a lot on the podcast and we sort of like to talk about sort of real life things. And well, one thing that's come up a lot on our show is like guilty pleasures and stuff because historically chefs cook the best food in the world for people but eat shit themselves. Now, you look like a very 
trim man but we've had a lot of chefs come on and talk about their guilty pleasures when it comes to just eating in their own time like Paul's favourite is super noodle sandwiches but I didn't know whether you could bread. indulge us yeah <laughs> I didn't know whether you could indulge us and let us know or let us in on any of just the normal shit you cook for yourself at home that you'd love to do or any little recommendations you've got yeah I mean I I'm a sucker for candy um, guilty pleasures are you know like Whoppers and Twix or not Twix uh, licorice Twizzlers wow um, okay oh okay I, I have more of a sweet tooth than I do savory so if there's a bag of chips in front of me or a bag of M&M's I'm going to do the M&M's every day almost wow. every single time uh, yeah I'd be on the, the chips I would yeah, yeah I'm definitely chips. I'm much more savory yeah, yeah. I, I mean that's just me. That's my guilty pleasure. Uh, I love. Uh, yeah, I love that. Fair enough. I, I love Fair pizza enough. though. I don't eat it as much as I want to, just because I'm <laughs> 45 now and you know I have to yeah. keep somewhat of a figure. <laughs> yeah, hey, pizza and M and M sounds pretty good. Yeah, to me. exactly. Um, and and so lastly, I wanted to bring up because I know it's a central theme. The whole montages of you on a motorcycle without a helmet. Whose idea was this? Was this their <laughs> idea? Is that how you usually roll, or are you safer than that? I don't even go on my push bike without my helmet. <laughs> no, I wear a helmet. I do wear a helmet every time I'm on a bike. Um, I'm going to blame that on Kevin Peng. He's like, can you uh, ride down away from really? me quickly? Really? I love that. And I'm like, yeah, well, I'm, I'm right inside. Oh, but it'll only take a second, so... Ignorant me jumped on that bike and rode just around the block. So, what I do, I promise I'll I, go do, with it. It looked I cool. do wear helmet. It looked cool. It's safety first. In I some ways, it. it was worth it because you looked fierce. It looked pretty damn cool. Even if you've been watching that back going, do you know what? I might ditch the helmet forever. I look fucking <laughs> <amazing>. <laughs> Yeah, I wouldn't ditch the helmet. Yeah, being cool, you're not cool when you're dead on the street, I'll tell you that. That's, That's very true. true. That's a good point. What a beautiful sentiment to leave the podcast on. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, amazing. Paul, I didn't know if you've got any other stuff you wanted to throw in there. Yeah, I don't know if you asked what, only a little thing. What, um, I don't know if you asked while I was um, just trying to log back on. Why ever? Why did you decide to call it ever? Ever, that's a great question because we went, uh, we went through a time period when we were building this, or not building it, but when we were conceptualizing what this, what it was going to be for us. And the grace was very easy for me because uh, a lot of people thought it was like my grandma's name or my daughter's name. Well, uh, grace for me was always just that, that ultimate freedom and uh, the ability to be graceful and how we wanted to treat our guests with grace and elegance and refinement. That was always what I instilled in our staff there. Now, forever for me was... It's my everything. It's every, it's, uh, you know, we caught ourselves saying to each other a lot. Uh, you remember that time we went to the fat duck and it was the best sandwich we've ever had for that shot in the movie. That was a really cool scene. I've never seen anything explode like that ever. You know, it was like our ever moment. Uh, okay. It was my everything. Oh, it was yeah. every thing that I want to give to my guests. It's the, the best china ever the silverware is the best ever you're going to see we toyed along with a lot of different names and this just settled in nice so we stuck with it 
Nice. Yeah. It's hard, isn't it, coming up with a name? It kind of took us forever to come up with a name for the restaurant, and I ended up overthinking it. It really is like worse than naming a child. If you have if you have children, you know, you go through that whole tool of what are we going to name this thing? And um, the restaurant is no different. It's I have to have meeting because everybody's asking you what what's the meaning behind it. Exactly. And, you know, Nobody I mean, says, why do you call your daughter this, do they? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I always say, like, there's not a really a meaning behind ever, because ever can be anything. That, and it, it doesn't really mean one specific thing. It could be a mixture of a lot of things. It's uh, how you interpret it, I guess. Nice. Nice. I like That's awesome. Well, if Paul and I are ever holidaying together and we find ourselves in Chicago post-COVID, we will try our best to come to Abbey. Yeah, we'll it to, sounds bloody to incredible. In a restaurant. If you ever make your way to Chicago, please don't hesitate to reach out. Yeah, man. I'd love to see yeah, you I've never been here. to Chicago. I've been to America a few times, but never been to Chicago. So you can bet your bottom yeah. if, if we end up there, I'm coming. Absolutely. Yeah, I've eaten in a few nice restaurants in the States. Um, but no, well, Grace was on my list, but um, no, Ever definitely is if I make it to Chicago, definitely. Awesome. All you have to do is just give me a call. Let me know. <laughs> we, we awesome. That's too. incredible. Thanks so much. And, and thanks for being such a gentleman and reaching out and, and agreeing to do this because, um, you know, no one has to. And it's a very strange time we all find ourselves in. But we've found through doing this podcast that loads of people in the industry and out have gained a lot of comfort from just listening to chefs talk shop and talk about sort of real things and, and like we said at the beginning even chefs at Michelin level have the same problems as people in pubs and other restaurants and I think it's yeah. it's a greater community than we realise than it, than just a, you know, a polished documentary and I think that's what we wanted to try and achieve so we really appreciate you sort of understanding yeah. that and wanting to be a part of it, it's, it's pretty awesome thanks yeah, it's my pleasure, you know, brilliant um, Michael turned me on to a podcast a few years ago, and I do listen to them quite a bit. Uh, and Michael was like, oh, I've always wanted to do a podcast. So he actually has his own podcast now that he's been doing for oh, really? quite some time. I saw that on his Instagram, yeah. yeah so oh, we'll have to check that out. He's doing really well, and, and thanks to him, I was, you know, I was able to, you know, I signed, obviously I signed up for the Google Alerts, and it popped up. So I listened to it. If I wasn't in the podcast, then I probably wouldn't have listened, but... Yeah, exactly. Thank you, guys, exactly. Thank you guys for really uh, focusing on the chef, chef world and, and making it special for us. It's, um, you know, a lot of people don't understand what, what, what we do and what we go through on a daily basis. And, you know, you guys just touch, just touch the surface. And it's, uh, the more we can educate the people, I think the better off everybody is. Awesome. Yeah, that yeah, is totally so much appreciated. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Thanks very much. Well, we'll we'll let you get back to your very busy day, and we'll we'll we should probably go to bed, mate, shouldn't we? Really? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so twenty to ten. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you guys again. Nice I really appreciate it.